Good morning and happy Easter Sabbath. We are delighted once again to be with you as we continue our conversations on this quarter, which is pertaining to the three angels' message as found in Revelation chapter 14. Now, we know we had an interesting conversation last week. We hope to have an equally beneficial interaction this week. But before we do that, let's ask uh, the presence of God to be with us as we open scripture. God, we want to thank you so much for your kindness, for your blessings. Today, we want to thank you because the world at large celebrates the reality that you are risen. You are risen indeed. And so as we talk, we ask that our viewers may be blessed by the conversation, that we may be nurtured by your spirit, and that we may continue to grow as you would have us grow. Thank you so much. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got a wonderful surprise for you today. My trusty co-host and friend Joey is taking some much, much deserved vacation. And so we have one of the newer members on our pastoral staff, uh, our director for care and counseling, Pastor Jamie. Pastor Jamie, how are you today? How does this Easter weekend find you? Good, good. I'm looking forward to spring. We've definitely had weather that warrants a bright and shiny spring. So yeah, Easter's going to be good. Lots of flowers, I'm sure. This is true. This is true. We're giving out flowers, as a matter of fact, during our worship service. So if you're watching us uh, from home, sorry, you don't get any flowers. But here at our church, we're getting flowers. And it's a beautiful, beautiful Sabbath morning. Mm -hmm. Finally, Mm -hmm. we're getting some sunshine, which is fantastic. A little warmer. Mm, Isn't that great? Mm -hmm. Except... You are from the Midwest, so our summers and winter, our summers should be particularly hot for you, and our winters should be particularly mild. That is true. That's very true. It's. I think there's still snow back at home where my family is, so mm. I'm happy for this this winter here. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited that you decided to join us. Um, we are really interested in getting different perspectives as it pertains to the Book of Revelation. Um, and you come at it from uh, the perspective of a Christian counselor. And I think that's, I'm just excited for our conversation. I guess before we start, uh, one of the, one of the questions that, uh, I ask, and Joey and I spoke about this a bit last week was what are some of the feelings you get when you hear, Hey, we're going to look at revelation. How does, how does that strike you when, when you hear, uh, the book come up? Uh, definitely mixed. Mm. Um, some trepidation because there's a lot of unknown. Mm. There's a lot of metaphors that are talked about and um, uh, that can seem confusing if you're not studied in it. Um, but there's also um, anticipation mm. for um, the hope of highlighting and being able to delineate what should we be looking forward to um, for Christ's return. Mm. And, and and the clarity uh, that we could find in, in hopefully in Revelation. Ooh, I love that word, clarity. By the way, Jamie, we got uh, several of our viewers uh, who commented a couple weeks ago, you did a sermon. Oh, mm-hmm. And our, just the feedback we got from our digital audience was phenomenal. Oh. So thank you for bringing clarity to the word. And it's, I think, the same idea that John has as mm-hmm. he starts to write the book. 
because revelation is actually about making something that was shrouded mm -hmm. a bit clearer. Mm -hmm. And the contention that we're going to have this quarter is that which is being clarified is who is this God that we serve? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amen. Well, we, we invited you to talk about a difficult topic. And then I saw the passage that the lesson talks about primarily this week. And I just felt horribly because um, <laughs> it's, it's a difficult passage. I know you spent some time reading it and thinking about it just before we get into the minutia of it. What, are, what were some of your initial reactions when you read this, uh, this passage found in chapter 14, verses uh, 14 through 20? Oh, this is a different version than I, <laughs> I yes. read a couple other versions earlier. Um, my first impressions were, um, who is this talking about? Mm. Um, what are these different objects? Uh, what do these different things mean? Some versions, there were words that are capitalized mm -hmm. and others that were not. Um, so definitely plenty of questions <laughs> arose about those things. Well, we're going to see if we can answer some of those questions together. And we're going to see what happens um, as we delve into today's study, which, as we've said, is found in chapter 14. And if you have a Bible, as we always do, would invite you to open it up. We're going to be in Revelation 14, verses 14 through 20. Now, my Bible has a superscript or mm -hmm. a little subsection, a header that says, the harvesting of the earth and the trampling of the wine press. Mm -hmm. And typically when we hear about this idea of wine, uh, it's particularly apropos to talk about this because uh, the idea of wine usually means this, uh, the spilling of the blood of Christ. And so that's, that's kind of the symbol that is connected. What I find really fascinating is that as we've talked about, Revelation uses some words that seem familiar. And you find this uh, in verse 14 at the outset, right? He says, I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the white cloud was one like a son of man. Mm -hmm. We've heard this before, right? Jesus refers to himself as son of man throughout the gospels. And then uh, the book of Daniel refers to someone as the son of man and so uh, borrowing that language it seems like um like he's talking about about jesus and i i just wondering amy jamie when you're thinking about this idea of jesus's connection to us as a, as a family member uh, what are some of the some of the images that that elicits particularly from somebody that's well versed in family dynamics and family systems a sense of belonging, mm -hmm. a belonging that not only uh, does Christ belong in my life, but mm -hmm. I belong to him mm -hmm. um, or that Christ is a part of my family um, and that my family belongs to him. And that's very comforting. That's beautiful that they, that that somehow your story, your identity is interwoven with the identity of Jesus and that Jesus's identity, which is, I think, the most fascinating part, most part that we don't talk about enough, that Jesus's identity is somehow interwoven and you use the word belonging. Mm -hmm. I belong to him and he belongs to me. Mm -hmm. I find a lot of times, though, that when we read Revelation or we read other prophetic literature, the initial response tends to be fear, guilt, mm. uh, shame. But it seems like what you're saying is once you have this notion, the beginning notion 
that there is or ought to be a sense of belonging between us and Christ. Uh, fear and, and shame really are impediments to having the sense of belonging. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, you know, obviously you're using the word family, the, the son of man mm-hmm. would would indicate that there's family there. I think that also indicates that God is there, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, because Jesus is God's son. Right. So um, I think that in order to um, experience more fe- more peace in life, um, that you need to have a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. Maybe going back to even the sermon that you alluded to, having community and having a sense of belonging brings peace, brings ease, brings health. And so if you have, first and foremost, um, positive and kind, loving view of Jesus, um, then hopefully you will be able to attribute, uh, by and large, those characters, ter- characteristics to God as well. But if you have that, then there would hopefully be less fear. Mm-hmm. Then you would be able to accept that you belong, because mm-hmm. that could be a problem for some people, is their challenge to accept that they belong to the family of God. Mm-hmm. I love this idea of community. Uh, not only because scripture is pregnant with uh, notions of community and communal living, but Jamie, what I think is so powerful about Revelation is it it's a text meant to be studied in community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like most uh, writings in the New Testament, we didn't, they didn't have books. Mm-hmm. Um, they had these scrolls and it was really painstaking to write them down. And so they were meant then to be read and consumed in the context of community. Together, yeah. Yes, there's this idea of togetherness there, isn't there? And if I may go, and you might know this better, but if I may, may introduce the fact that there was a time as well where um, before there was writing or a mm-hmm. scroll, there was just memory. Mm-hmm. And so you had to be with the person. You yeah. had to be with the person who knew that or was the recorder of that incident. So again, kind of making sure that people are very near to each Oof, other. I love that idea. So think about what you just said. Uh, and folks, I want you to just pause and stop what you're doing and just think about what we just what we're just talking about. There is this idea of memory. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Bella, who's a fantastic uh, sociologist of religion, says that by and large, faith communities are communities of memory. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're communities built and based on memory. And in the passage that we're reading, there are these illusions that we sometimes don't get because we don't know scripture as well as they did. So we don't have this capacity to memorize the text like they did. But if you read Revelation 14 as a community of memory, then there are two primary signs, two primary images that would come forth. First, Joel chapter three. And Joel chapter three talks about this idea of judgment, divine judgment. But in Joel's mind, divine judgment is not something to be afraid of. It's something to look forward to because mm. judgment is about the re- the reversal of these unequal scales and systems that we've created. Mm. And then mm. you think about uh, blood, and we're going to talk about this idea of blood and how much blood is in this passage. But you think about Isaiah 63 and this idea of uh, God 
this messianic figure in Isaiah pressing down uh, the grapes and then having having this uh, this notion of blood emerge, except in the book of Revelation. The blood is the blood of the blood that that is most uh, that we hear most in, throughout throughout John's twenty two chapters is this idea of the blood of the lamb, mm. and so I love the fact that you're pointing us to this idea of memory, mm. because if we don't remember mm. the story mm. um, and how God has shared the story with us, we tend to miss a lot of these connections that the author is trying to make. Mm, yeah, and to hide the scripture in mm. our heart. Mm. That might be a little harder for revelation than it is <laughs> for like a proverb or or comforting right. verse. There are definitely comforting verses in right. revelation, that's for sure. And yeah. I, I find, and I wanna, I wanna do this, this little exercise together, all of us here, this is probably and I am so grateful again that you said yes to this because this is probably one of the most off-putting passages in the whole book. Maybe um, I did it naively. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, I, if we look at it from, from, I think, this idea of remembrance, and that's why mm -hmm. I, th I thought it was brilliant that you're, that you're pointing this out. If we remember the history that God has with his people, mm. we ought to, we might be able to find some comfort even in this section that seems mm -hmm. a bit off-putting. Okay. So, uh, this son of man has a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, crown, obviously, a uh, symbol of royalty. This mm -hmm. person is someone uh, that is a member of the royal family mm -hmm. in Revelation uh, from chapter 4 on. We know that this that this is referring to the lamb. Uh, and, but then the, the person has a sickle. I don't know what a, I didn't know what a sickle was until this week. Um, I th it's, it's an instrument basically that people use uh, for harvesting. Yeah, is it like a long, like a sword or uh, something? Like a, like a bent, it's like a uh, bent sword. Okay. And I right. I realized just recently, this week, that some of the zealots and Jesus had one disciple that was a zealot. They used to be called zealot sicari because they carried these sickles. Mm. Um, it would have been a tool that you could easily hide in your robe, oh. and um, if you needed to use that as, as a weapon against Rome, you would pull it mm. out. But it's primarily a um, instrument for agriculture okay Har harvesting yeah for harvesting mm -hmm. now harvesting takes some patience i'm assuming yeah, yeah um now i don't know anything about harvesting i know a little bit about baking and i know that my primary problem as we're thinking about communion and as we're baking communion bread this whole past yeah. week it was really really difficult to smell the aromas of that bread and not Eat it. Eat it all. <laughs> yes. And I know you had some this week <laughs> as did. well. Um, patience. Patience until the dough mm. is, is ready, until mm -hmm. it's cooked, until it's cooled off. Mm. What, what role do you think patience plays in our religious experience, in our faith walk with Jesus? Well, we have we've been summoned to be patient. Mm. Uh, no, we don't know the day or the time. Mm -hmm. we, we don't have those answers. Um, so we we're always in a position to be practicing it. Um, 
there are, I think we could say as it pertains to harvesting or baking bread, that there are different stages mm -hmm. to it, right? So you um, get the ground ready or you get the ingredients ready depending upon whether we're baking or harvesting. Um, and then and then there's there's further steps, right? And then you have to wait, right? Mm. Then it's in the ground or it's in the oven, and then you have to wait. There's the, there's the patience piece. And then sometimes even once you see it uh, or you take it out, you still have to wait. Mm -hmm. So it's that endurance that I think Jesus is mm. um, calling us to. <laughs> I love the idea of endurance. It's, it's, and Revelation talks about this, right? Here is the patience of the saints mm -hmm. and this idea of those who endure, those who are patient. I think it's difficult to be patient, particularly as it pertains to, to the notions of harvest, Jamie, mm -hmm. because we are not in control. And mm -hmm. let's face it, we love, human beings love control, but uh, the dough in the bread doesn't determine when it's ready. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The baker determines when it's ready. Yeah. The, the grain in the field doesn't determine when it's ready. Mm -hmm. The harvester mm. determines when it's ready. Yes, yes. And so it's not only patience, but it's it's this capacity, I think, that we're being invited to inhabit, mm -hmm. which is uh, becoming comfortable with passivity, which we often, let's face it, mm -hmm. don't like to do, particularly mm -hmm. in Western culture, that where it's go, 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 and achieve, achieve, achieve. And here it seems uh, that the heart, that when it comes to harvesting, we're not only called to be patient, but we're also called to be passive. Mm -hmm. I think one thing as I was hearing you talk that's coming to mind is uh, delayed gratification. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, being being patient with the process, whether that's because of something that you're needing to do or now you're needing to wait for the next person. When it finally comes to fruition, um, the gratifi gratification is great. Uh, and that's the process that we're all in uh, mm -hmm. as we wait for Christ's return. So if I were to come to your office, let's say, and I make an appointment and um, I'd sit with you and I'd say, Pastor Jamie, I have issues, and I have issues with patience. I have issues with delayed gratification. Um, and you're telling me, well, it's a process. Mm. What ingredient uh, would you, would you? What ingredient would you recommend that I work in in order to begin to be more at peace with the process? What are some things that you would that you would invite me to do? You know what? I would tap into your memory. Ah. And I would say, when has there ever been a time? where you worked for something, you waited for something, um, you went through the process for something. How did that feel when you got that? We need to parallel that feeling mm -hmm. as it pertains to maybe the next thing or just general growth um, in, in patience and delayed gratification. So I, I would actually tap into, first and foremost, when has this worked out for you before? Mm -hmm. And if you can't dig you know, sometimes even into your childhood, um, that might be where we first experienced delayed gratification, hopefully moms and dads. <laughs> um, and, and so if not, then I, then I would try to help give some illustrations of mm -hmm. people who um, have exercised that. Which is exactly what the author of Revelation is doing. Mm -hmm. He's tapping into memory mm -hmm. in order to remind the readers of the letter mm -hmm that there is a process, that God is mm -hmm. at work, mm -hmm. and that if we believe that God is at work, patience then requires trust. And so I find it just 
so amazing that this book that was written in 90 AD in a beautifully amazing island in the mm -hmm. Mediterranean mm -hmm. that you visited, by the way, a few <laughs> months ago, is linking up with the best available practices that you as a therapist would use in order to mm -hmm. push us towards these processes. Mm -hmm. Digging into the memory mm -hmm. um, and... Uh... And then now writing it down, mm. you know, it says in another place in the Bible, I believe in Ecclesiastes to remember the days of your youth. Mm -hmm. And in Psalms, it talks about, um, you know, essentially kind of journaling or keeping mm -hmm. track of some things. And, and that's what we're called to do, too, so that when those difficult days come, we can look back mm. and use our own memory to encourage us mm. uh, as it hopefully parallels even with the word. Oh, wow. That's that's journaling. Another spiritual practice that yeah. I think we don't do enough, by the way. Journaling or at least listing, right? Some people right. are like, I'm not a journaler. They feel like they have to be all special about it. Um, but, you know, even if it's in a, a small book or in even in your Bible, just keeping track of places that God has taken you. So mm. you can look back and say, ah, my memory serves me well, that God is providing and showing a way. And that is, uh, so we used to do this. Uh, when I was doing when I was doing uh, chaplaincy, uh, we would have these moments where people were desperate, and obviously, um, when you're encountering crisis, you're you're simply trying uh, to to be there and to journey with people. But I found that one of the most powerful tools that people had, particularly when facing just these devastating diagnoses. Mm was to look back at their life mm. and see how God had been present and palpable in different times in their life. Mm -hmm. And doing that really for them, it wasn't the idea that, ooh, there's gonna be miraculous healing, although sometimes there there is, but it was more the, the idea of getting comfortable with the fact that if you trust in God, mm -hmm. then you trust that God is at work with your best interests at mm -hmm. my, at, in mind. Mm -hmm. That kind of sounds to me that by reviewing those things, mm -hmm. it provides a sense of confidence and a sense of peace mm -hmm. that God, even, even though this thing is happening, this pain and potentially even uh, more imminent death than had hoped or planned, not that we necessarily necessarily planned for that, <laughs> um, but that uh, I I can trust that um, even if my day days are shorter, that um, that God's going to not only take care of my family, um, but He will return as He's said, because I've been able to review how He's revealed Himself in my life. Yeah, that's so. So far, we've, we've realized that Revelation is doing stuff that we can do in our own personal spiritual lives. There's this idea of memory. Mm -hmm. There's this idea of connection to Scripture. And then there's this idea of the memory creating a wealth of trust in whatever God is planning mm. to do. So uh, another angel... Uh, comes out of the temple and calls in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud. Take your sickle and reap, because the time has come again, this notion of patience, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So, is ripe. so he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out to the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had a charge in the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice 
to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes, its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth and gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. Wow. So, um, just some, some theological background that might have, that might be helpful. And then I've got, I've got a question about this idea of wrath that I think we should, we should share a bit. Um, so we talked about, uh, Jamie throughout Revelation, there's this, there's this really interesting way in which the book is written. It's not written chronologically because after all, Jewish apocalyptic literature isn't written chronologically. We said last week that it's uh, written in a chiastic structure, which is kind of these mirror, uh, mirror structures. Within the chiasm of Revelation, chapters 12 through 14 are the center. Within that center, there is a center. And so the chiasm of the chiasm, the most important part of the book, if you will, is uh, the passage that is just proceeding to what we're reading. So the three angels message, which comprises verses 6 through 13. Everything that's happening then is a response to those messages. Now, Revelation 13 talks about the beast, and it's a admonition to the people of God to remain faithful mm -hmm. because the beast is coming. Mm -hmm. Revelation 15, we talk about plagues, but we also talk about those who have endured and made it through. Mm -hmm. And so what is actually happening is the bridge between enduring and making it through and whatever the beast is trying, attempting to do is found in Revelation 14. So that's, this is our bridge. And it's, it's interesting that John decides to say, well, the bridge is going to require uh, this, this language of wrath. Now, I, I've always gotten very nervous when I read it in the text, the wrath of God. Um, so tell us, tell us how you feel, how, how that language strikes you. The wrath of God? Yeah. Um, generally not very good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... No. I mean, if there's nothing else, it's going to go with Right. Right. Yeah. I find it, wrath is not, I mean, it's not an emotion that I'm comfortable with. Mm -mm. No. Like if I came to you and I said, hey, I've, I've got a problem with wrath. You probably would say, well, we're going to have to do some anger management yes. techniques, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think one of the thing, one of the places that I, that I would start, Jamie, is... Um, as a therapist, you are much more well-versed in human emotions than I am. But I would venture to say that the way in which God experiences emotions is different than the way I experience emotions. Okay. Um, I would also say then that wrath, as I understand it, is different than mm -hmm. wrath mm -hmm. as, as God would mm -hmm. see. Mm -hmm. And then I would say that the whole life of Jesus... Uh, the ministry of Jesus, this memory that you're that you're calling us to live in and to to pour into and to remember and to journal, all of that is an exercise in paradox. And what I mean by that is, in Revelation, it seems that the instrument of God's salvation isn't power, 
It's a lamb. The, interim, the, the apex of God's mercy isn't a crown, it's a cross. Mm -hmm. where, where God's enthronement is established is not, in, is not in a divine throne room, it's on a mountain in the arid uh, Judean hillside. It seems like God's way of dealing with us is, is an exercise in constant surprise. Hmm. Okay, yeah. Well, it's the, un, it's the unknown it's the for unknown. us. The mm -hmm. unknown. Mm -hmm. So talking about paradox, and I definitely understood the examples that you gave. So what is the paradox in the wrath of God? Well, glad you asked. Because in Revelation chapter 4, John is heartbroken. John hears the, and sees a scroll, and the scroll is closed. And salvation and the fulfillment of John's dreams for his community depends on finding somebody that can open the scroll. Mm -hmm. He weeps aloud because there is no one found worthy enough to open the scroll. And then he hears a voice. He said, the voice says, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah is, wor is worthy of opening the scroll. Now, I always wanted to be a lion because among all the animals in the jungle, it seems like the lion is the most majestic. The lion is the strongest. Mm -hmm. The lion represents power and might, mm -hmm. which is why it's so surprising that when John hears that the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open the scroll, he immediately turns and he sees a slain lamb. Oh. So he hears a lion, mm -hmm. but he sees a lamb. Yeah. And that is to me the ultimate expression of this paradox that Revelation calls us to dwell in. You mm -hmm. see the lion, you hear the lion, but you see the lamb. Mm -hmm. God's wrath God's ultimate wrath is made manifest not in the way he avenges those who have hurt him, mm. but in the way he patiently, and again, that's I think why we started talking about patience and passivity, mm -hmm. how he patiently and passively lays down on a cross and says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Could this somewhat be paralleled to um, a parent in their, um, with all of their love mm. and all of their strength as a parent, sees their child in danger and yells mm -hmm. for the child's safety? Mm -hmm. um, when in actuality, they're not mad at the child, mm -hmm. they're wanting to protect and bring mm. the child into their arms for mm. safety. Is, is this kind of what we're talking about? I, I think that's a really that's a really good analogy. Um, it's that if you are to understand God's wrath, whatever that might look like, you first need to, un to understand that whatever that, that emotion feels or looks like or however it's meted out mm -hmm. is uh, it originates and it's a direct result of God's unmitigated love towards his creation, mm -hmm. much I think in the same way that a parent would yell out, hey, 
danger. Mm -hmm. I'm only trying to protect I'm you. I'm trying to protect you. I want exactly. to save you. Exactly. I want you with me. Exactly. Mm -hmm. In my family. It, and there we go back right to this idea of family, um, which, which then seems so bizarre um, because you have this idea uh, uh, in verse 20 that these uh, grapes are trampled in the wine, wine press outside the city. Now, I had a really hard time understanding this particular text. Mm because there's many ways of looking at it. Uh, Jamie, the, you know that in, in Revelation, there's two cities, right? There's mm -hmm. Babylon, and then there's the New Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Trying to find out what city this is, is uh, mm. was kind of complicated. Uh, N.T. Wright, who's a uh, Revelation, who's a New Testament scholar, seems to think that this is Babylon. Okay. Uh, Zygvi outside the city of outside Babylon. the city of Babylon. Zygvi Tonsted, who uh, who's an Adventist scholar, uh, is 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 uh, one of the voices in a in a growing group of voices who seems to think that outside the city, uh, that this city is Jerusalem. Okay. And the reason why he says that is because it seems like. Uh, there's this temple and like everything is happening within the context of this ultimate um, scene of the New Jerusalem. So, with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. See, see if we can if we can understand how Sigvi's interpreting this. Can I this. can I clarify Please. something though? You're saying that because I guess this is just the way maybe I'm looking at it. Mm -hmm. So. If this is taking out taking place outside the city of Babylon, wouldn't wouldn't being outside of the city of Babylon mean that you're in Jerusalem? Mm -hmm. Okay, and so that's what the second right um, right. So N.T. Wright says that the blood that is being spilled because mm -hmm. it's outside of Babylon, so it's not mm -hmm. people in Babylon, mm -hmm. is the blood of the saints, okay. which seems to be a which seems to be a little complex because. Mm -hmm. It seems like we're talking about harvesting, and this is a moment of rejoicing, right? Yeah, Something yeah. that we've been waiting for. If it's Jerusalem, then then uh, the blood that is being spilled is being spilled uh, by those who are outside of the city. Yeah. Now, if we read Revelation chronologically, which we said we shouldn't, this is, I think, where the where the confusion mm -hmm. occurs. I would like to propose that we read back okay. from the end of the book to the middle of the book, and that might give us an idea of what the city is. Okay. Okay, so do me a favor, come with me, to Re uh, come with me, and I'm gonna have you read Revelation chapter 21, verse uh, two. 21, verse two says, mm -hmm. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Okay, so let's imagine for, for this experiment that this city is the New Jerusalem. Uh, this is how uh, John sees Jerusalem. Now we're going to go to 20 verse 5. Um, and this is, this is what's happening outside of the city, right, Jamie, mm -hmm. uh, during the millennium. Mm -hmm. The rest... Speaking of those who have not ascended into the heavenly Jerusalem, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Mm. This is the first resurrection. Mm -hmm. So there's people dead outside of the city mm -hmm. that are going to come to life. Let's now go to Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, and I'll have you read that. 
1915. Mm-hmm. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. Okay, so again, this seems to be Jesus, right? And it's a lot of similar language. Wrath, mm-hmm. uh, winepress, blood, uh, and a sword. In Revelation 14, we're talking about a sickle. Now, the sword is coming out of Jesus's mouth. And it's interesting that the sword isn't used as an instrument to cut down people. And what I think and what several scholars believe uh, John is trying to say is that the sword that is coming out of Jesus's mouth is the truth. Amen. That's exactly what I was thinking. What is it? Well, you're then in in good company (laughs) with good scholarship. So it's not violence Mm -hmm. that allows Jesus to win. It's the fact that Jesus speaks truth Mm -hmm. and that truth in the end is more powerful than the sword. Amen. You know, as you, as we started today's program and, you know, you're digging into this book and this chapter and you asked me some of the initial questions, although there's a lot of trepidation around revelation, I also know furthermore that that it is about truth. It, mm. it, it, it comes down to, in the end, you know, what you're going to choose and that there will just be more and more revelation of truth. Although there are many aspects of today that that could seem, how will that ever be possible mm. as we dig through, you know, just our information of the day, let alone sometimes even the challenges of studying the word. Mm. But um, to know that final decisions and um, final aspects of Christ's return will come down to the truth and everyone being able to see the truth. Mm. I find comfort in that. Mm. I find comfort in that there will be, I believe, a moment where we will have to decide. Mm-hmm. Make a distinct decision about something that will be for eternal life. Amen. Jamie, and I think that's the decision that John is hinting at as we come back. So we see the new Jerusalem. It descends outside the city. Mm -hmm. There are people who have been slain. Mm. Jesus hasn't slain them. He simply Mm -hmm. spoke in the truth. Mm -hmm. And now we come to 1420. Mm -hmm. What if, this is just a possibility, what if it isn't God who smites people down outside of the city? because people weren't obedient. But what if the choices that people have made have now led them to believe that the way to life is through violence, which is what the Mm. beast does. Mm -hmm. Throughout Revelation, the beast is the one that's violent. The lamb, the the wrath of the beast is shown in violence. The wrath of the lamb is shown by self-sacrificial love. Mm -hmm. That's kind of this, this paradox, right? You have And I love that you said you have to choose. Mm -hmm. You have Mm -hmm. two narratives, right? Mm -hmm. You have a dragon, powerful, mighty, and Mm -hmm. you have a slain lamb. Mm -hmm. The dragon speaks lies throughout Revelation, Mm -hmm. right? The lion opens his mouth and lies come out. Yep. Yep. The lamb speaks truth. Truth, truth. And and that's the thing is I think that things over time, uh, as long as we're we're here, if we're here when Jesus returns and, and not already in our rest, um, that there will only be more and more opportunity to find truth. Um, mm. And so so I say that because there's obviously plenty of confusion now, but God is not a God of confusion. Mm-hmm. So there will be more and more to be revealed mm. 
about the choices that we make mm. and the decisions that we make, um, especially as, as things escalate um, according to Revelation. Mm. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city and blood flowed, flowed out of the press, rising as high as a horse's bridle, bridles for a distance of 100 and, 1,600 stadia, which is about 200 miles. Mm -hmm. 200 miles. Wow. With everywhere you see, so from here to mm -hmm. Bakersfield, with blood mm. five feet deep. Wow. It's a lot of blood. Mm. In the narrative of the Lamb, the truth, mm -hmm. it only requires the blood of the Lamb. Amen. In mm -hmm. the false narrative of the beast, there's a lot of blood. And so I think what, mm. what, what is happening here, what John is trying to say is there's violence, mm -hmm. there's self-sacrificial love. Mm. And what's going to happen in the end mm -hmm. is those people who have given themselves over to a life of violence will mm -hmm. ultimately turn on each other. Yeah. Because violence yeah. begets violence, right? Or if I may say, uh, it's kind of an idea that um, Jesus shed his blood for our righteousness. Mm -hmm. So in order to be right, righteous in, in the world or to vindicate yourself or to be strong in, in those days mm. is, is to shed blood mm. of yeah. others yeah. For, for your own um, yeah. salvation of, of which yeah. one day could, could be um, something that's urged on people huh. that is a really really interesting nuance i hadn't thought about that but that seems like what what's going on right because if you believe that my salvation is contingent on other people's doom then mm -hmm. it would make sense that i'd take up i mean how else do we keep each other safe mm -hmm. if not mm -hmm. going to war against mm -hmm. against one another, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep mine safe mm -hmm. by going to war against one another. Mm -hmm. And if the 20th century has taught us anything, mm -hmm. is that we've had an enormous amount of blood spilled mm -hmm. in the name of safety, mm -hmm. security, mm -hmm. or salvation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's where part of the confusion comes in, just in general, mm -hmm. because there's still so many... Um, in maybe even in our own circles that are not able to rest in ease and in peace day to day, knowing that Christ's righteousness covers them. And that's all they need to do is recognize that mm. and accept that and, and recognize that on a, on a daily basis as much as possible to know that it's, it's not about the works that I have done mm -hmm. that are going to save me. It is because of the Lamb of God. Mm. And that's, I think, the ultimate paradox. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about a book full of paradoxes, mm -hmm. is that my ultimate destiny is occurs independently of what I do because mm -hmm. it is contingent on what the Lamb has done. Mm -hmm. And so I am being asked again to approach this desire for control, because let's face it, it's always been about control mm -hmm. from the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's the big lie, right? That's the first deception. You can be like God. You can have control. You can be in charge. Mm -hmm. And here the lamb is saying, no, I've I've done it all. Yeah. You need to patiently wait. Oh, yeah. Coming back to patience. <laughs> oh. Well, that's a wonderful way of, of connecting together uh, this, this idea of patience and passivity. Mm-hmm.
This has been great, Miguel. I've so enjoyed our conversation. It has yeah. been, I think, enlightening. It has been rich in in, in scripture, mm-hmm. and hopefully, what it what it does is it it allows for our viewers uh, to do a couple things. First mm-hmm. off, I think one of the things that I at least want to stay with is this idea of memory. Mm-hmm. Remember, mm-hmm. Uh, remember not only what God has done in your life, but remember what God has done throughout human history. Mm-hmm. Then I want us to invite. I want to invite us to do some to do something like what you said, which is just journal, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's lists or mm-hmm. actual narratives. Mm-hmm. I think there's a power in putting these these ideas down on paper. They may, they feel real. Mm-hmm. Then we talked a little bit about patience and passivity. Mm-hmm. But what I really want to stay with is is your your last comment, and that is, Christ's righteousness covers mm-hmm. me. Amen. Jamie, well, I've had a blast. We're about out of time. Next week, we're, t- we're continuing to talk about, uh, the, and we'll hopefully get into the three angels' message. But before we do that, uh, Jamie, would you close us in with a word of prayer? Yeah, I just want to thank you. This has been a pleasure to study with you today, um, especially with your knowledge and your wealth of information to, to address this passage today. So thank you. Well, the pleasure has all been mine. I love talking to to pastors who have other areas of mm-hmm. expertise because it brings kind of a whole new swath of, of mm-hmm. life to the text. So thank you so much for joining us. This is why I am so delighted that we have such powerful, powerful, God-anointed women ministers mm-hmm. in our, on our staff because you get a perspective that is constantly enriching. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Your, your presence here just has been an affirmation of your call mm-hmm. uh, to minister. Thank you, Miguel. Would you you close us off in a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to uh, study together today, to study your word and anticipate um, your coming uh, more than anything with um, anticipation and the ability to practice patience. Uh, Thank you for the reminders that we we have memory that can serve us well to remember what you've done for us in our lives personally, but also in your word and throughout history. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary, that we may be cleansed, that we may be cleansed this very moment and today as we accept your sacrifice. And so Lord, um, now being cleansed, I just pray for those that are with us, those that have studied with us today, that, that Lord, you would work in a marvelous way in their lives Um, that this message would sink in for them in the way that you know is needed, that you would organize their thoughts and their understandings according to your ways, not to mine, not to Miguel's, but to yours, because we know that yours are best. And that, Lord, you would just continue uh, to bless this ministry of Sabbath School and Miguel's leading. We love you, Lord, and thank you that we can pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And friends, as the world today says, Jesus is risen. May you go out with the assurance that as my colleague has just stated, his blood provides you righteousness. We'll see you next Sabbath. Have a wonderful, wonderful Easter weekend.